Good morning, church. I hope that our worship this morning has excited you to hear from God today, from His Word. I'm excited. It pumped me up. The, when, when school started back a few weeks ago, the church sold some T-shirts that had this slogan, this phrase on it that's on this banner, We Love Win. This morning... I hope that at some point you have asked, what is We Love Win about? What does it mean? Uh, what are we talking about? What are we trying to do? The, the slogan started at Easter. A few of us from Wim Baptist went to the Boys and Girls Club and had a missional type service at Easter. And when I was thinking through what, what we wanted to accomplish there, what we wanted to do there, what we wanted our community to know about that service... We were wanting it to be something very simple but profound. Something that people understood and cared about. So we went with three words, we love when. I don't know if you know it or not, but there are certain ideas about Win Baptist Church that are not the greatest in our community. When you talk to people about Wim Baptist Church, some people will say, oh, that's the big church. You ever heard anybody say that? Some people think that we have all these resources and we don't need to partner with smaller churches and uh, we're just the big church. Some people call us the big white church which hurts me deeply and makes me a little bit ill, if I'm honest with you. Because no church that is living out the principles for a church in the Bible should ever be labeled by the color of the people that predominantly go there. But a church that's living out the principles labeled for a church in the Bible should be known by something completely different than the color of the people that go. One day, I hope our community says that church loves us. Right or wrong, fair or unfair, correct or incorrect, whether we have earned any labels or not, some we have, but whether we've earned them or not, there are some barriers out there that when Baptist has to overcome before our community can see the glory of this great gospel of Jesus Christ. Since that outreach service at the Boys and Girls Club, our Sunday school class, the Clegg Sutton Sunday School class, did an outreach uh, at Cottonwood Park. We partnered with the Johnston Sunday School class. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have been able to have funded half of what we funded. They came and they helped us it was a great partnership. It was a great event. Many people attended. We got to cook hot dogs, give away bottles of water, and build relationships. Also, if you've been listening to the radio broadcasts of the football games, there have been some people on there that have done some radio spots, and they've highlighted different ministries of our church. And at the end of the radio spot, they will say, every one of them, they will say, we are Win Baptist Church, and we love Win." Also, 
there is this really cool adult, adult softball team that plays softball in our community with other teams. And at the beginning of each game, they fix a cooler full of bottled waters that are labeled, We Love Win. Scott Doss provided us some bottled waters that say, We Love Win on the label. WinBaptist.org is really small on the label. That's intentional. We Love Win is really big. But this softball team packs a cooler full of bottled waters and they ice them down and they take them to the other team in the cooler. I watched my first game Friday or Thursday night. They're decent. <laughs> but somebody came up to me that was not a part of Wim Baptist Church and they said, you know what, every, team, every game that team brings a cooler of water over to the other team. And it's impacted those other teams. This Friday night, homecoming week, the Leak small, small Group will be hosting a tailgate party um, on the south practice field. And they're giving away, the, this banner will be there, and they're giving away free hot dogs and bottled water to anybody that wants them. The water says we love wind. They're going to be expressing a love for our community. My prayer is that We Love Win moves from a slogan to a movement where our community sees us as people who love them primarily. This morning, I want to take time to describe to you the heart and the passion behind those three little words. We Love Win. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. If you want to turn there in the Bible, I hope you have your Bible. If not, look on with somebody else so you can stay with us. We're not necessarily going to dive deep into this scripture. We're going to stay pretty surface with it. But what's on the surface of these verses is very powerful. And if we apply them to our lives, it, can, it has the opportunity to change our community. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Here we go. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ there is no Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. 
Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone is a grievance against you. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, Wives, I'm not going to be using that verse. Just wanted you to know it was there. <laughs> I hope you can have a little bit of fun this morning, too. This morning, we're going to be looking at seven meanings behind the passion of the slogan, We Love When. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, it really is a horrifying thing to stand in the presence of your people and to speak on behalf of your word. God, it's also a horrifying thing to be presented with your word and to do nothing with it. I pray that if there are any decisions made, it would not be out of manipulation, but it would be because we have stood in your presence today and we have heard from you in your word. And as your followers, we want to do what you say to do. Nobody needs to hear from a student pastor who is only scratching the surface of the person of God. We need to meet and hear from you. Will you speak to your people through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Seven meanings behind the passion of the slogan, We Love When. The first meaning is this. We love when means we live lives that make the culture of heaven visible to those who know nothing of it. This meaning comes from the first four verses in this passage that we've just read. I'm not going to read it again because we just read it. But it's talking about you've been raised with Christ, so think on the things of heaven. Think on the things of heaven. If we don't watch it, when we read that passage, we may be thinking that Paul is trying to tell us to daydream about heaven, to think on heaven, to think about getting to heaven. One day we'll be in heaven. I hope I'm going to heaven. But that's not exactly what Paul is thinking about here. When the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Do you remember what he said? Do you remember how he started his prayer? Our Father in heaven... Honored as holy be your name. Now, now listen to this. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus didn't necessarily want his followers to be so concerned with getting to heaven that they miss people that are not on their way there. Jesus wanted people to be concerned with the culture of heaven, grabbing a piece of the culture of heaven and bringing it down here on earth so that it's tangible for people to see, so that people can see it and touch it and experience the culture of heaven. He's not talking about here, Paul's not talking about sitting in a puddle of drool and daydreaming about one day it's going to be streets of gold and we're not going to have to work anymore and all this is going to be great. He's talking about what is it about the culture of heaven that is so great. Grab hold of that and bring it down to your community so your community can see what heaven is like. What is heaven like? I'm not going to get into the doctrine of heaven this morning. I've got seven points to work through. But we know that Christ reigns supreme in heaven. There are no elections in heaven. There's no dictatorship in heaven. The world, the culture of heaven, revolves around one person, Jesus Christ, and there is no competition. The culture of heaven does not revolve around you. The culture of heaven does not revolve around me. The culture of heaven does not revolve around my children sitting on the front row, and it doesn't revolve around your children. It revolves around King Jesus. I wonder what it would be like if our community got to see a group of people and their world didn't revolve around them. And their world didn't revolve around their family. It didn't re revolve around their jobs. It didn't revolve around their kids. Their world revolved around the person of Jesus Christ and whatever he said goes. We know that there's one people in heaven. There's not a bunch of um, we're not defined by our jobs, we're not defined by our social status, we're not defined by our color, we're defined by what we did with Jesus on this earth. There is one thing that defines us, this one people. We're children of God. I wonder what a community would do if they saw a group of people whose world revolved around the person of Jesus and they weren't separated by different things on this earth race, job status that kind of thing we love when means that when we walk down an aisle at Walmart and somebody bumps into our shoulder they bump into the culture of heaven we love when means I don't have to be first I don't have to get my way we love when means somebody else is in charge of my life my friend, when we bump into Jesus, when we cross the threshold of heaven, all those things that we've worried about here are going to be gone. And we're going to think, our first thought will probably be, most of our first thoughts will probably be, what on earth did I do down there? What was I thinking? Why did I worry about all that junk? The culture of heaven revolves around Jesus. One thing we love when means is we're pulling a little bit of heaven down here for our community to see. The second thing that we love when means, number two, we love when means we live differently. I want you to read these verses with me, verses five and six again. 
Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. There are multiple reasons for this, I believe. But some of us, as the people of God, have chosen to, to be more relatable than holy. Maybe it's because we have gotten so fed up with church tradition that we want to see church done so radically different that we've walked away from holiness. Young adults, students, we have to admit that sometimes this is us. We want to be relatable to the lost world and we forget about holiness. Maybe it's because our society has presented us with two, two options when it comes to people that are making mistakes and that's either alienation or affirmation. Society has kind of backed us into a corner and, and they've said if you don't alienate this person, you, uh, you affirm them. And if you don't affirm them, then you have to alienate them. But there is a third option and it's the gospel option. Where we don't partake in their sin. These verses say put to death these things. But we don't alienate people either. We love them. Friends, our community does not need what they already have. Our community does not need to see people embracing the sin that Christ has saved us from. They need something different. They need to see us set apart Students and young adults, we're bad about this. We want to be relatable more than holy. That's the only way we can see people embracing Jesus is if we become relatable to them. But that's not the truth. There is a gospel truth. There is a gospel answer where we can be set apart yet, hold, yet, yet loving. One of the most loving things we can do is to tell a person, I'm not going to partake in what you're doing today because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Number three, we love when means we never expect a person to change apart from an encounter with Jesus. Verse 7, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. Paul does something similar to these verses in 1 Corinthians. He lists a, a list of sins just like he does in Colossians. In that, in that passage, he, he talks about sexual immorality. He talks about adultery. He talks about thieving, thieves. He talks about homosexuality. He talks about verbally abusive people. He lists this list of sins. And then he says, as which were some of you. 
some of us in this room, we see the agendas of sinful people rising up in the world today. We see the brokenness of sin rising up and it, it has this loud, scary voice in our lives and the only thing we know to do is to respond shaking our fist at it. The only thing we know to do is to preach at it. The only thing we know to do is to make fun of it, make jokes about it. And we have forgotten that there's not a person in this room who has found Jesus, but Jesus found us. Nobody in here woke up one day saying, I think I'll follow Jesus today. No, the Bible says He found us dead in our trespasses with nothing to offer Him but sin. And sometimes it's good to be reminded, don't, don't, don't forget where you came from. One of the best descriptions... I think of the life and ministry of Jesus is found in John chapter 1 verse 14 and it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have observed his glory the glory of the one and only son from the father full listen to me full of truth and grace He's not 50% truth and 50% grace. He's full of each. The last group of people, when I, when I mentioned the youth and the young adults, sometimes we walk, walk away from truth. And when we walk away from truth, we walk away from Jesus. But when we walk away from grace, we walk away from Jesus too. It's not a terrible thing if there are people that walk into our walls, or maybe we should say God's doors of this church, that make us just a little bit uncomfortable because we know what they struggle with. It's not a terrible thing. These verses tell me that these people that, that Paul was writing these letters to one, at one time, they struggled with sins like sexual immorality. They struggled with sins like adultery. They struggled with sins like thieving. They struggled with sins like being verbally abusive. But they came into the fellowship of the church and they encountered Jesus through God's people. And they embraced Him. And now they're the leaders of churches, receiving letters from Paul the Apostle. Friends, I want you to hear me, and I'm going to say this in, in total love. If you expect any person who's living in the world's worst sin, whatever you think is the world's worst sin, if you expect that person to change apart from an encounter with Jesus Christ in the life of God's people, you are expecting them to do something that you never could do. And that's really, really close to the definition of a hypocrite. May we be people who only hope for change by allowing people to encounter the person of Jesus. Number four. 
We love when means we love the people, the individuals more than we love culture. I won't read the, all of these verses, but I, I will point you to verse 11. It says, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, whatever that is, scythian, however you say that, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. And, and the point of these verses is that because of what Christ has done, culture has become small, and what we, what we do with Jesus has become everything. A few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I went to New York City with the choir. And why wouldn't I? I can sing. <laughs> I'm a person that loves culture. Some of these people, by the way, got really nervous right then. Miss Kitty? I told Miss Kitty she might be an illustration this morning. But culture is a funny thing. It can kind of control how we think. and It can be beautiful, but it can also control us. But I'm a person that loves culture, and I, I went to New York City. Uh, those people th there thought I was one of them. They thought I was born there. Um, <laughs> had no reason to doubt that. I just fit right in. And um, so we go to this place called Times Square. Maybe you've heard of it. But there's, there's Times Square, and uh, it's, it's the beatingest thing I've ever seen. You can't, unless you go there... You cannot understand Times Square. There's lights everywhere. It, it, was, a, it was a sight in a lot of different ways. Um, I won't tell you about all of them, but uh, there's all these lights and billboards, and it's running. I mean, you're just kind of gawking at it. You kind of, I mean, that's, it, it, it steals your attention. So I'm walking through Times Square, and I mean, total redneck, you know, and I'm gawking at all this stuff, and I, I look over to my right, and there's this homeless man. And he's laying face down on the concrete sidewalk. And I didn't feel led of the Lord to do anything or say anything to him. I don't think the Lord wanted me to do anything. I think he wanted me to know something. But, but I saw this man laying face down and, and the Lord spoke to my spirit and he said, that's, that's my image laying face down on the concrete. And, and later on I got to the room or I, I don't really know where we were, but I mentioned to Beth, you know, if, if a person was to minister in New York City, they would need to be sure that they had fallen in love with the people more than they had fallen in love with the city. Because there's everything in New York City. Whatever you want, it's there. And there's a lot of ways to be distracted. And you would have to really focus on falling in love with the people more than falling in love with the city. I told that to Beth, and then I laid down that night, and I remember laying down in bed, and, and the Lord spoke to me again, and he said, Wind's no different. We love... Our school districts here, we love our football team here, we love the hunting and farming culture here, we love the small town atmosphere, but that's not what this means. This means we love the image of God in individuals that are walking up and down our streets that need hope. 
When we say we love wind, we're not talking about this culture here. We're not talking about this atmosphere here. We're talking about people. Individuals. The passion behind we love wind has seen that culture is small now and individuals are very important because they bear the image of God. And He has died for every single individual. Be sure when you put on that t-shirt that says we love wind, be sure you're wearing it because, they're, because of the individuals you bump into and not because you just love this area. We're talking about people. Number five. We love wind means we love wind Baptist church. Read verses 12 through 17 with me one more time. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul kind of takes a, makes a transition here and he starts saying one another all the time and it feels like he's saying now, the way you treat one another matters inside this church. We love Wynn Baptist Church because it's a part of Wynn. And the people inside of Wynn Baptist Church are a part of Wynn. But, but there's something bigger here, friends. There's, there's something more important here. The way I treat you... And the way you treat me is extremely visible by our community. Our community knows. If we're backbiting, if we're not loving one another, we have the opposite effect of our community on our community that we were called to have. No church, no, absolutely no church has a realistic shot of reaching its community if it's constantly trying to get along with one another. The sad truth is that some churches are bridges to walk individuals from where they are to a relationship with Jesus Christ but some churches, because of the relationships inside, are a brick wall between their community and Jesus Christ. God forbid us be a brick wall. I cannot tell you what you need to do in your relationships. But I know there are break, broken relationships in this church. And what I will tell you is that there is a lot more at stake than your pride 
and get in your way in a broken relationship. There are brick walls guarding the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ from those who need Him. Please, please, if you need to, get over it. Please, if you need to, go ask forgiveness. Make things right. So we can be a bridge instead of a wall. One way we love our community well is to love one another well. Number six. We love when means we will be attacked. That is not in the passage that we've read. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 16 through 19, but this whole letter is, is Paul addressing an attack of the enemy against this church who is just trying to grow and th thrive. This is one example, verses 16 through 19 of chapter 2. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. This is just one example. This whole letter represents Paul trying to address an attack from the enemy on this church who is just trying to grow and thrive. I don't know what it's like in any other church. I haven't been in any and don't care to go in this role. But I know in Wim at Wynn Baptist Church in Wynn, Arkansas, if you want to see your community love Jesus Christ, you will be attacked. It comes at you in all, from all different directions. I've become well-versed in it, especially on Wednesday nights, our big student ministry night. When we did our We Love Win outreach at the park, the first night, Libby was teaching the kids, Libby Owens was teaching the kids, and this train pulls up. It's not a long train, it's just one car, and it pulls up, and if it was just there, it would be okay, but it's, it's laying on the horn constantly. Good thing it was Libby. Nobody even knew it was there. <laughs> she just talked over it. It was all good. But it was right during the Bible devotion time, the Bible story time. Next night, I think, I think Trenton was teaching, and, and this long train pulls up and stops and blocks everything on the east side of the tracks from coming over to where we were. We couldn't get around. Nobody could get around it. You may believe in circumstances, but I believe in an enemy. And, and he will do anything to keep the word of God from reaching people, especially children. One of my favorite storytellers is a man named Jerry Clower. Some of you may know him. He's a comedian. I listen to him a lot. But he tells this story about one time he was on the road doing a show with a guy named Jim Ed Brown. I have no idea who that guy is. But he, he's a musician, apparently. And so they're traveling together. And one night, they were going to go eat together. And they had this meeting place. And 
to get to this meeting place from their rooms, they had to walk through the bar. So Clower is walking to the meeting place, and he walks through the bar, and he said, out jumps this man that looks like a gorilla. He said, mean-looking man, ugly guy. And the guy said, I know who you are. You're Jerry Clower. I want you to know I'm the baddest man in Texas, and I'm making me a list of all the people I can whoop, and your name's on my list. Clower said, brother, I'm just trying to go eat. Let me, you, you keep it on there. I believe you can whoop me. <laughs> the next person down was Jim Ed Brown. Does the same thing to him. He said, I'm making, you, making me a list. I'm the baddest man in Texas. Um, your name's on my list. And he said, brother, keep it. I, I don't want to fight you. I'm, I'm good. And he walks on down. The, the band starts coming through one by one. <clears throat> the last guy is the bass player. <laughs> Make sure he's not back there. Um, I think he said his name was Jerry Braswell. But he comes through and the guy does the same thing to him. Hey, I want you to know I'm the baddest man in Texas. I'm making me a list of all the people I can whoop. Your name's on my list. The guy said, man, I'm, I'm trying to go eat. I'm not trying to fight you. He takes a couple steps, and the redneck kind of starts bubbling up in him. You probably, know, you probably felt it before. <laughs> but it kind of starts boiling his blood a little bit. He starts thinking about it. His heart starts racing. He turns around. He grabs that man by his shirt and he pulls him real close and he said, now that I think about it, I don't believe you can whoop me. He said, you don't. He pulled him a little closer and he said, no, I don't. He said, well, let me get your name off my list. James 4, 7 says, Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Men, I want to lay this in your lap. Because I think God has wired us for resistance. Sometimes God is at work in an area and people are flocking to him and we want to say amen to that and glory hallelujah to that. Praise God for that. But sometimes the men of God have to rise up and pry the crusty fingers of the enemy off the throats of the people in our community. And when we do that, we're going to get shot at. We're going to be attacked. We will feel, feel the flaming arrows of the enemy. He will attack our homes. He will attack us. He will do anything imaginable. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. One way we love our community is understanding we're going to be attacked and out of deep love walking into the fire for the people who don't, know love, who don't know Jesus yet. 
men, I hope you'll be people who rise up and resist. I'm not asking you to grab another man by his shirt. I will ask you to resist this enemy who hates our community. Fight him. Maybe fight him on behalf of another because we're men. And that's how he's wired us. Last point. We love when means we share our faith. Read chapter 1, verses 27 through 29 with me. Paul says this. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with His strength that works powerfully in me. There is no greater act of love than to share this incredible Jesus who has changed our lives with another person. There is no greater act of love. Jesus is so good. We have to share Him. I've been thinking about the Great Commission lately. The Great Commission tells us to go where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And every time we think about uh, this, this commission that Jesus presents to us, we think about it regionally. We think when is our Jerusalem, um, Arkansas is Judea, North America, Samaria, and the ends of the earth is the rest of the world. But what if... What if Jesus meant that circumstantial, circumstantially? What do you mean by that? Think for me, just, just give me a little bit of freedom and think for me just a minute how the disciples would have received that. Disciples, go to Jerusalem where my blood, my blood is still visible on the rocks and the gravel and the sand where they beat me and they crucified me. Jesus, I don't, I don't want to go back to that place. They hurt me there. They hurt you there. The only thing worse than hurting me is to hurt my best friend. They hurt me that there. A part of me was lost there. I don't want to go tell them people. This is a small town. And I'm sure there are people who have hurt you deeply. And don't be shocked if the Lord Jesus tells you to go to that person and love them with his gospel. What about Peter? Peter, I don't want to, uh, Jesus, I don't want to go back to Jerusalem. I told a little girl I didn't know who you was there. That was the most embarrassing moment of my life. I was intimidated by a nine-year-old girl. This is a small town. People probably know your junk. And don't be shocked if that's exactly who the Lord Jesus sends you to with his gospel. To love them. Disciples go to Judea, where the religious leaders have, have confused people and, and they don't even know what to think about Christianity or, or Judaism anymore. 
Don't be surprised if the Lord Jesus sends you to people in Arkansas who are confused out of their minds. Disciples go to Samaria where the racial tension is so high you can't even measure it. They hate you. You don't feel great about them. And everybody knows it. Don't be shocked if the Lord Jesus sends you to a person that does not look like you or believe like you or act like you. Disciples go to the ends of the earth with the gospel where Jesus is just another religion. Don't be shocked if the Lord Jesus sends you to people who don't think any highly of Jesus than they do Michael Jordan. If I thought of the Great Commission circumstantially, you can find Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of, earth, the, ends of the earth within 10 minutes of this pulpit. The Great Commission is right here. And when? We love when well by sharing our faith faithfully. At this time, we're going to have an extended response time. If you, if you will, bow with me for just a few minutes. This, I hope this message can, can touch a lot of different people in this room. There may be some who have never experienced a love like this before. The only reason we can love our city the way the Bible tells us to love our city is because we've experienced an incredible love through the cross of Jesus Christ where He bled and died for every one of our sins. And the only thing required for salvation is repentance from sin and faith in that loving act of Jesus on the cross. Maybe that's you. In just a minute when we stand, if, if you want to put your faith in Jesus for the first time, there will be pastors down front who can help, help walk you through that decision. Maybe you're in here and you hear the words that I said this morning and it just makes you incredibly mad because the only thing you've seen from church people is the opposite of we love when. I want you to hear me tell you I am sorry. We do not have this perfected. If we did, there would be no reason for messages about it. If that's you, I want to beg you to not let our actions, our unloving actions, hold you from a glorious relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you need to come to the altar and pray because you've been scared of attack, or maybe you need to come to this altar and pray because you know that you've wanted to be more relatable than holy, or, or maybe you know that you have not responded well to the rise of sin in our culture, you've only shaken your fit. Maybe, maybe you need to come down to this altar and just lay it down and repent. 
this, these steps can be used as an altar this morning if you need to do that. Maybe you've been a guest at this church for a while and, and this sounds good to you. Maybe you want to join us and help us love our community well. This is the time for you to come forward and tell one of these pastors you want to join our fellowship. Maybe you've never been baptized. The first act of obedience after salvation. This is the time for you to come tell a pastor that you have trusted Christ, but this morning you want to be baptized. I pray that you would do whatever the Lord tells you to do today.